0: Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
3: At night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's a... Uh called my old man
2: what's going on everyone it's the true jordy i fucking hate the championship The sound of the first 60 minutes against Newcastle. But then the Villa players decided to get funky. Welcome to the My All Man Said podcast show. I'm David Michael, the editor of myallmansaid.com. Well, if any game epitomised the saying to hell and back, Villa vs Newcastle for Villa fans certainly was up there. We'll, uh, we'll take a look uh, in the show at well the two sides of the coin, the first woeful 60 minutes or so, and then the flip side where Villa launched uh, a sterling comeback. We'll also look at some of the other news of the week, notably the latest episode in the Jack Grealish saga. The improver of the week will be Mr. Gallini, who actually had a decent game for what he had to do uh, against the Geordies. We'll have a Jedinax jungle. There'll be another little silly sketch as well, which is topical to uh, the events of the week. Of course, five reasons to be cheerful as Villa fans, and a whole lot more. As always, thanks for the uh, the new patrons that have signed up, and if you want to do so as well, which will be a huge help in expanding the show, because we've got a few ideas uh, in the pipeline. Uh, just head on over to myoldmansaid.com and click on Patron, which you'll find on the top menu bar. Uh, also, if you're a uh, if you've got a local business in the Midlands area and you fancy sponsoring the show, uh, and obviously as well as the uh, the show listeners, we can also plug you on uh, our social media channels and the website so you reach uh, thousands and thousands of Villa fans drop me an email on david at com, and uh, we can discuss it further mates rates of course right let's get on with it and discuss what potentially is a very pivotal game in Villa's season and joining me on the show Dan Rogers from the Villa Underground welcome Dan good evening Right, before we go on to the, uh, the positives of the game, and it was a good point and Villa fans were uh, pretty joyous at the end of it because we'd pretty much pulled that one out of the fire, let's discuss the almost tragic first hour of that game. I don't think uh, I've been as mad and angry at a Villa performance since the FA Cup final against Arsenal in 2015. I mean, we had to watch a lot of dross last season, but we kind of got acclimatised to that. But it's just when you need a, really need a performance from a team and it lets you down in that way. Not only uh, the players on the pitch, but uh, you know the managerial decisions as well. I think there's, there's nothing more frustrating for a football fan. So uh, let's pick the bones out of the wreckage of that first hour or so. Dan, DiMatteo, what was he playing at?
4: Oh, God. It wasn't doing anything, really, was it? It was the most disjointed. I mean, let's just look at the first half first. I mean, I was sat in the lower hole, and, and you think, well, it can't possibly get any worse. And it was just the most excruciating attempts to see us trying to fathom anything and it got to the point as the game progressed as well where you thought actually there is no plan here and it it, it descended almost into farce you know people you know we sat with people we were just laughing it was that bad it was that
2: bad at the moment, we've bought these players and, as you know, I've, I've said before, it looks good on paper, these mm-hmm. players. Oh, they've won the championship. Oh, these guys, uh, they, they gave up the Premier League to come to play for Villa, et cetera, et cetera. And there's no game plan. It's like, well, we'll throw them on. They're not even playing in their... Not in their positions. Best positions no. either. Exactly. People were getting angry <clears throat> and it wasn't... Uh... It's not frustration. It's not Villa trying everything, hitting the post, you know, really uh, having a good go as the home team should. It was just, it was maddening and, uh, the you know, the anger was flowing. If we had lost that game, whew, it would have been, uh, I think, a bit of a turning point for old RDM. It was so easy. I mean, we we're looking at a Newcastle
4: team that has John Joe Shelby in it and he looked like Beckenbauer. You know, it was just a joke. It was, It was so frustrating because... I think we can all see the, the little technical and the the improvements in the personnel. Yeah, they're not they're not world beaters, but it's a million miles away from where we were. They look so disjointed. Like as you say, it can be so damaging because you get onto a bad run or you get turned over against someone like Newcastle, and you you know you you glum and you. You're wondering where the next win's going to come from. Well, we need to be we need to be building some sort of momentum. Not wondering how are we going to win games. We've got the personnel now. I feel, to win games.
2: Let's put it into some context. Uh, Newcastle weren't that good, no, no, and no. Uh, and I think most of the teams we've played haven't been that good. I mean, they've they've been teams that are well organised like Huddersfield, Brentford, but we're not looking at you know the mythology is the championships a hard slog and it's a difficult league. It's harder than the Premier League, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But the Premier League has six or seven decent teams championship it's all it's all very average and if you can get your shit together, which villa are a long way away from, uh, you know you can do damage and you can get up there and if you're not on the ball, you know Newcastle aren't firing on all cylinders at the moment, but they're only four points off the top. And they've well, lost they... three games. I mean, they've lost three out of they've lost a third of the games. But they're still, you know, in a decent position. And that's how I had how I would envisage Villa in this league. I if think... they're not not at the races yet, they still should be. You know, eighth, seventh, sixth, etc.
4: Definitely, I would agree with Anne. You only have to look at the points that we've dropped from our winning positions so far this season. We we spoke about it in the last podcast. We've just been talking about players. We've got the personnel. We've, we've got the starting to get the resources together to actually build some momentum in this division. But you look at the one person who I don't think is building any momentum and, and it's the lack of charisma from the manager for me. You know, I think we were set up badly today. And if, if you were to look at, I'm not a huge fan of Benitez, but he was visible, he was organising things. And that's the one thing that I thought about Newcastle in the first half, that you, the glaring thing is they were really well organised and they might not be very good, but they were good at what they were trying to do. What were we trying to do would be my question. Five across the back, or was it three at the back with wing backs? And what the hell were we trying to achieve with that? The midfield might as well not been there. And you know, we'll we'll probably talk about individual performances at length. But you know, it made Yedinak and and Westwood had as bad a game. You know, again, not a huge fan of Westwood, but if you needed any more evidence, he he wasn't helped out today by the fact that the game passed him by. And I I do think tactically, that that's where a lot of the problems lie.
2: I'm still uh, subconsciously trying to work out why. Did he play uh, Domar as a wing back? When uh, one of the things that Middlesbrough fans uh, they said about uh, his uh, weaknesses was he wasn't the greatest person in terms of tracking back and defending. Mm-hmm. But Kuna's getting better at that, I feel. But his delivery's still pff, terrible. So yeah. why, uh, why, why swap them around? Why, why pay play an out and out winger, a forward? Uh, a, a, essentially right back. I don't know what to say
4: to you, to be honest. I I couldn't work out, you know, we saw how they lined up and then we. it wasn't long. It was probably 10 minutes before. I think everyone in the ground knew this isn't working. And I couldn't understand how five minutes passed, 10 minutes passed, 20 minutes passed, how our manager didn't see that. And the players aren't stupid. They've got to be looking at the team sheet. And and I think when we'll talk about the second half and and how the game progressed, I think individuals took it upon themselves to say, screw this, I'm going to play as an individual to try and actually make something happen in this game. Because the, the the where was the where was our momentum going to come and where was our we lacked any fluidity to our play because we had people playing roles that they're not accustomed not trained they haven't been developed to do um, Codger being out wide as well it's just it's a head scratcher he
2: brings Angus said which is an obvious mood. and mm-hmm. who's he take off the the guy who's going to whip in the crosses for him or be his supply line baffling which just didn't make any sense at all. I mean, Bakuna went to right back where he should have been in the first place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, you're chasing the game, you're 1-0 down, you've offered absolutely nothing. Just put two up top, get some width and just have a go. When
4: you, And that was also removing Adoma at a point where you then had the opportunity to reshuffle the pack, put him into his natural wide position and allow him to threaten. And, you, and you've also, as you just said, you've brought on Gisted, who is, you know, if he's renowned for anything, it's certainly his headed... Heading ability. I thought Geste came on and played played well. To be honest, I thought he was a real handful. But almost like we nullify ourselves, don't we?
2: Because push, pushing pushing out Kodger right out to the flank mm. was uh, essentially well. You know why are we cutting off one of our arms mm-hmm. uh, to try to salvage this? It was some of it was dumbfounding it's not frustration it was it was anger that was uh, permutating from the crowd the guy next to me said he's worse than Sherwood well I
4: mean that that's the kind of thing that that sticks as well and there's already been people who I'm sure have been you know they've been contacting us over, over Twitter you, you only have to sit in the whole tent or in the ground to hear people having that conversation that's really worrying for, for, for me because we, we we need somebody to be leading the club and to appear to be knowing what they're doing People are already asking questions of Di Matteo. I'm not gonna sit here and say he should be chopped or you know, we should be yeah. we, we should be sacking managers and whatnot. But there are some glaring tactical issues here. Walking away from the ground, we're all wondering, Well, we could have actually won that. How didn't we win that? But what yeah, that, that's yeah. confined to five minutes, ten minutes most, where we you know, we, we as I say, individual players thought, you know what, Newcastle actually aren't that good. Screw whatever game yeah. plan, because not that I believe there's much of a game plan, and they they went at Newcastle because what they remembered was Kieran Bloody Clark's at the heart of that defence.
2: To be fair to him, he had a decent game. He was
4: solid, but, you know, the goalkeeper was allegedly a goalkeeper for them. You know, so bad that he's had to, from the stick he's had on Twitter, he's had to delete his account tonight, you know. And yet it took us 85 minutes to work out that he was rubbish. Or to I, mean,
2: yeah, the, I mean, the upshot is we got a point tonight mm. uh, despite Di Matteo's uh, attempts. And yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll put it out there now. If we don't get promotion, which is the aim here, we're not, mincing around and saying oh it's a two-year plan there's a certain guy in China who's all about getting promoted this season and he supplied the manager with the tools to do the job as pretty much mm-hmm. there's obviously going to be more to come in January but if we don't get promoted it's, it's on the shoulders of one man judging on what we've seen so far in the first nine games yeah and, and I'm not talking about Ashley Westwood I'm <laughs> talking about Di Matteo just clear, clear that one up it's
4: so frustrating because. We have we can see the threat that we carry. And today was a perfect example where you think, did we come out not to lose? And if so, was that formation going to achieve that? I'd I'd love to be a fly on the wall for, for the team talk as well, because individual players, you know, Yedinac... I'd love to know what, what Di Matteo or the coaching staff said, this is your job today, because he was all over the place. His, his distribution was shocking. He didn't seem to know where he was supposed to be. Westwood was... <laughs> <laughs> was a Westwood was just criminally criminally bad and, and, and he's he's also reached that height as well where you get sarcastically clapped off a pitch, you know that's got to that's gotta hurt any professional footballer
2: We can uh, sit here all day and knock and, uh, Westwood but I think yeah. the upshot, he's, he's, he's not good enough Absolutely and, and when you've got a midfield with him and Bakuna in it I mean we've seen it before, there's a reason why we got bloody relegated, they're just not a physical presence, they haven't got the uh, the naus and you know they're not players who uh, drive this team forward they're not players that dominate the midfield so so why keep picking them i mean i have a feeling tish bowler could have played the full 90 and let's let's get a bit positive now mm, mm. Uh, I, thought, I thought tish Bola was and probably jumping the gun here because i'm you know i was going to uh throw him in the, one of the reasons to be cheerful uh this week but uh he looked good if he stays fit and he and he gets more confident and he and he decides that I am the don of this midfield, then uh, we could be onto something here and he could be a real big, big player. Yeah, I agree with
4: that. I really like him. I think Chad said last week that when when we comfortably beat Rotherham, that he was the driving force for that. The second he came onto the pitch, the game changed. And yeah. it gave Newcastle something to think about because he was... Not just positive, but he carries the ball into that final third and he's looking for the pass, he's looking for the run-on. There was the one-twos. He's also quite similar to um, au as well. He can be so close to an opposition player and yet they can't get the ball off him. So he, yeah. he, makes, he makes passes where you think, Maybe where a Westwood or a Bacuna would lose the ball, he releases the ball. He's clever. He's out wide. He's central. He's. I'm increasingly impressed with him. We haven't seen a lot of him, and I think that this is the knock-on from him being injured. That he's such a huge loss.
2: We're uh, shouting the praises of a player that's what he's played a matter of minutes. Yeah, so yeah, that, sh- yeah. that shows you how desperate we are as Villa fans. But I mean, his awareness is great. I mean, did you see the uh, the dummy uh, where he just stepped over the ball and let it go through? Uh, yeah. It was, it's, so I think it was I think it was through to Codger I mean, that was great.
4: When I caught his interview with uh, it might have been be. Him, I think on the way home and I think you mentioned that when he gets more confidence he's you know he, he wasn't a man of very many words in the interview but you get the impression that I, I like to the thing I'm desperately grasping for here is that what's gone before at Villa we need to draw a line and he sounded like a confident very straightforward individual who you know the wins will come I'll you know I enjoy playing football and I'll be part of that rather than we weren't very good or maybe we could improve here and there you know very forthright with his views and you can see that in his game today that he came onto the pitch and he tried to make something happen that's the point of football after all isn't it it's not to come on and pass sideways and you know it's exciting and you could lose 5-0 but if if you if you try and, and if you give everything and if you can say well do you know what they bust a gut for it no one will care no one will care
2: and I think that's what, as as we alluded to earlier on, that's what Codger and mm. AU just thought. They just thought, fuck this, I've got to do something here. They beat three or four players, and you think, this is a miracle, mm. you know, great, great stuff. And where is the support? The guy that, after they've made something happen that, Makes it continue to happen rather than just sitting there or jogging behind and just watching in awe of whatever they're doing. They've got to switch on and uh, you know join in with them and help them out because some of these players are doing great things in isolation, mm. but it's a team game. And unless you're in the eighteen yard box and you're beating two or three players, then you probably get a shot on goal. But you know we're doing a lot of the good stuffs deep, and they need you know they're crying out for help.
4: I use the obvious example, isn't it People seem to sit see in two camps, don't they? Of being so frustrated with him that they can't stand the bloke, or a, a feeling that he's just dreadfully unlucky, and actually he's one of our best players. I have to say, I, I do probably fall into the latter camp. I, I I think he's supremely talented, but I also wonder whether he's so scarred from actually having such dross around him, especially at Villa, that you know yeah. why wouldn't you try and go it alone every single time? Let's just take today. Look look at the the move where he cuts across the front and he curls curls the ball and strikes the the face of the post. That was all him. There was not not a great deal of, of anyone else there and he's got he's got something about him, ayu that, that makes me think that if we can support him, I think that's perhaps what you're getting at, if you can put good players around him who are confident and who maybe he can even look up to and think, Do you know what, I will release the ball to you because you're not absolutely bloody hopeless and you won't pass it backwards or lose it.
2: I mean, he's he is a maverick, oh. uh, and if you're putting close knit first eleven together, probably not going to pick him. He's going to be more of an impact player. But you know, he's a, he's one of the best that we've got. So, yep. uh, I mean, to be fair, if you look at the link players that would bring it all this together, potentially, with looking at Grealish, McCormack, and obviously they were missing today.
3: Now it's time for Twitter with Tony. September 19th, we are clear about issues. I've asked all to support, including pointing out coach's team's weakness and try different ways to fix for now. Be positive. September 19th, I understood all your feeling and desperation to up the villa. We need more to stand together and calm, down to solve all problems before the dawn come in. September 21st, I've always listened to all advice, but I've never bothered by what people said, do what you should do, adjust what you should make changes, be yourself, September 21st, at Jack Grealish, as I said before, focus every minute on and off pitch, choose the right type of people to be with, don't let people who trust you down, Who TV?
2: We were going to sh- start the show with three or four newsy things uh, to kind of warm up. But, you know, we had to go straight into uh, this game because, uh, phew, it, it, you know, it was... Uh, it was shape man. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just one of the strangest games of football
4: that I've walked away from in a while. But like everyone at halftime, I, I think I needed either restraining or removing from the ground because I, I couldn't interpret what I'd seen, really. And then as the game, the second half went on. It looked inevitable that that Newcastle were going to win, and then some, uh, it's like a switch went off, didn't it? Again, that yeah. and and some players, some of our players, Ayus and Codgers and just just sort of and, and, and Tish Bowlers took took the game by the scruff of the neck. But we get the goal. I mean, we had the disallowed goal. We kitchen sink them for ten or fifteen minutes where we could have won, and it I do it almost masked what had gone before it. And I wonder whether the underlying theme, though maybe not similar in terms of all the other games, is that. Have we not won those games because of this yeah. glaring tactical shortcoming? And we're so it's so early into Dimatteo's reign that it's it's easy to say, you know, we're still learning, players are still gelling. There's a little bit of that. But Let's do the simple I mean, things right.
2: You know, let's let's look on the bright side. At uh, That point, I mean, we need more than a point at the moment, but uh, mm. I think a lot of people were happy after that. I mean, everybody was singing on the way back to Aston Station, or you know, the social uh, before leaving, and it was buoyant. I hadn't seen that for a long time. It was like we'd qualified for Wembley or something. But I think it was more like we we got some self respect back mm. because you know we were standing there as supporters with our bloody pants around our ankles. <laughs> Newcastle fans were rightly taking the piss because I don't I don't think they could believe we were that bad
4: no it's a weird one it, this could be the making of the club in the sense that may, exactly. maybe it'll galvanize us and that that's a fantastic thing i don't understand i don't <laughs> if that was the rationale was to play like that in order to achieve it well yeah maybe that's something we need to go through
2: no that, that's that's something out of sherwood's tactics well, i yeah. think it's the blues where he said he was going to play for 60 minutes like poor just to lure, <laughs> lure, lure them into a false sense of security um,
4: yeah. well we, we did beat them huh
2: <laughs> It's potentially a pivotal point because they're going to go Tuesday now to Barnsley. Mm. In terms of player confidence, it can only do them good. But what we have to hope is uh, A. McCormack or Grealish uh, are back. And also De Matteo learns the error of his ways and gets rid of this uh, 3-5-2 nonsense. Well, essentially the three at the back because, I'm sorry, but those three... When you play two centre-backs, they're pretty well drilled and they know their responsibilities because it's you know it's essentially on the shoulder of two players and you're, you're looking after the the right and left of the centre of defence. When you've got three, there's suddenly a few grey areas. It's like, whose responsibility if is this guy who's running kind of in between, uh, let's say, the left and the centre centre-back? And it becomes uh, this grey area causes weakness while two centre-backs, they, they know their roles better. So I think that's the way to go because we're just losing uh, a player up- upfield who uh, we need, essentially.
4: Well, we were overrunning the midfield, weren't we, the, the first half? The the crazy thing in the, in the beginning of the second half, I was surprised to see that Baker was the four guy in the reshuffle. I can understand why it happened, but I thought on, on the on the basis of how El- Elphick had one of the worst centre-half showings, I can remember seeing. Maybe as a result of the the uncertainty that's brought about by a three and the exposure on the right and left. It was interesting how many times that, I mean, Baker's not particularly cultured, but he, he was covering for Elphick's lack of positional sense, if you like. And Chester as well. Chester came to the rescue of Elphic more than one occasion in the first half. I don't think necessarily there's much to read into all of that, but it serves to illustrate that 3-5-2 was, it's not something I'd, I'd want to see again in a hurry, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think Elfic and Chester are good enough for this league i mean i, I don't wouldn't necessarily have them as uh, the center back pairing for the premier league uh, if mm. we ever if we ever get back there but uh, <laughs> but that's another story but let's go back to the decision to uh, drop Grealish.
3: yeah i'm listening to cool cauliflower
4: come on We've had a letter this week from a concerned parent. It reads like this: "Our ah, little and Jack, he's been messing around. This ain't the first time. This time is the final straw. Please, Collie, give us some wise words." Well, this isn't the first time with our Jack, now is it? Hanging around with the wrong crowd. Take it from me, mucca. Yeah, I'm gonna ruin it for yourself. Yeah, well, will be able to go down the chase, as y'all please. Yeah, I'm famous. And what about them dreams of playing for a big club like
0: Bradford or Real Oviedo? you yeah, can not forget it. Them ossies, No chance. Put your football first.
2: My understanding, I'm assuming from speaking to other fans who are a bit frustrated with the decision because... And I was talking to fans of Grealish's age and because of previous games, he hasn't been able to have his... uh, Is it 21st or 20th? I think it's 21st. 21st. Mm -hmm. 21st, like, landmark birthday. So he's had a bit of a party. He's a week away until the next game. And there's no evidence anywhere of whatever happened. I mean, it's mainly uh, noise uh, pollution that, that the cat got out of the bag that he was actually uh, having a party and enjoying himself. There's two sides to this. Grealish hasn't been clever because if you're going to party hard, which you're entitled to, don't go to a hotel in the middle of Birmingham. <laughs> go to your... If you are going. I mean... We're talking about after hours. This party's gone on to like seven in the morning. Go, go home. Bring, take your, take your homies home. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Privacy of your own home. Nobody will report you, see you, dob on you, I think... grass you up, or go. You know, go a bit further out of town. But the main thing is, if you go and if you rage hard after like one o'clock, two o'clock, take it private. Yeah. The upshot, there's only one rule here: don't get caught. Then there's no problem. Don't get caught, and it says a lot. I take the view that.
4: He's, he's just incredibly naive and a bit stupid. And he's entitled to, to celebrate his birthday like anyone is. But there's a slightly different angle in, in the sense that, one, he's a professional athlete.
2: Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first.
1: ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started
0: picture the scene all of your mates around you've got your mcnugget share boxes ready to go partner this with your team playing champagne football perfect order McDelivery now on the mcdonald's app there's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
4: And, you know, he's, yes, he's entitled to a personal life and, and to, you know, ultimately the, his body's his. But he's supposed to be in prime physical condition. He's, he's employed to be in that state. No, yeah, it's a week before a game. But do you see and do you hear of other top up-and-coming footballers, doing the same thing as regularly as, as great is it that well, they're caught like that. is it that they're caught or they're not
2: i was just about to say that that's the golden rule that's the golden Don't rule that's the golden rule villa players very bad track record in terms of getting caught i mean i was actually thinking about uh, fuck doing this podcast and website i'm gonna i'm gonna my old man said the party agent mm. where we, we sort out parties for football players where nobody gets caught <laughs> Well, I think he would certainly have one, one client straight away in... in uh... I think there'll be a queue, actually.
4: I'm not going to get so hung up on it. I think that the thing is, for me, that I do like to think that, as a professional athlete, he, he would be looking after himself. And also the social circle as well. Who Who's he got in his social circle? Who is letting the cat out of the bag?
2: Yeah, but in this incident, that was uh, the cat out of the bag was the noise essentially, and your, your fellow uh, hotel residents. So it's it's kind of a no-brainer.
4: Well, I think I think that is the point. It's no-brain. And do I want to be prophet of doom here? Because there was a fantastic footballer who came through when I first started watching the Villa, who had all of the technical attributes, very similar player, exciting in and around the periphery of the England squad, came to nothing. And the thing is, Lee Hendry must look back on his career, and he's much maligned now. He's a joke. It's a joke, isn't it, that he's, he's known for the party boy stuff and not for actually yeah. what he could have become. What he could have become. And there was that open letter, if you like, from Collie Moore. How, how many times do we need to see that sort of diatribe? Well,
2: this is one of the things about getting caught is suddenly you get all these ex-player pundits <laughs> who, who have done far, far, far worse in their uh, back catalogue of misdemeanours. Uh, and, you know, I'm just talking even just from the point of just drinking because it yeah. used to be a drinking culture, football. And you've got, uh, um, you know, I'm not talking uh, just about Collymore, talking about all, there's there's like a whole, you know, Mr. Hotel Sex Orgy Dwight York comes out uh, with his fatherly advice. Holier-than-thou advice, yes. They're queuing up because they want to be in the limelight and they've got agendas uh, within the media and it, Collymore. uh, What he says is all, you know, is perfectly correct but whether these people should queue up and say all these things i mean it's the nature of the beast now football media is uh, it's relentless but golden rule you don't get caught you don't have to go through all this shit yeah you know as as colymore did rightly point out and it's kind of a, an elaboration of what you said about lee hendry he said you know there's two paths is the, the gareth barry and lee hendry and of course there's you know there's more than that because uh, it's it's not that clean cut. You don't have to be boring or a party boy. It's just just be wise. Because, uh, I you know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt here. And he had two drinks, let's say. D- there's no big deal here. So anyway, en- enough of that. Would you have dropped him? Is a fine enough so far this season? He's you know, he's gotta be one of the top five performers for Villa so far.
4: Mm, well, We've seen glimpses of Grealish. I, ha, has he been? Has he been so on on fire as as to say, "Do you know what? We can turn a blind eye to things." I don't think we even necessarily should as a club either. That don't forget we've been we've fallen foul of perhaps not properly addressing these sorts of in house issues. Agbonlahor yeah. is a great example. There was issues where you know all last season. You know the day we got relegated, another hotel incident. Um, you know him and him and Richards disappearing to Dubai mid season when we were. You know, on our knees, and countless yeah. other countless other examples. You know, you mentioned the Yorkham going further back. A line needs to be drawn somewhere else because it always seems to be Villa as well. We're we a professional football club, and you know, it's been find a week's wages and dropped, and it's it's a very public. It, it's a very public was, action as well, isn't it? I think it was two weeks' wages. Two weeks' wages. Well, you know, not insignificant money. Granted, the guy's already, I'm sure, a wealthy individual, but. I think the point is that that's it's it's a public statement, and I would rather our youth players and our academy players and anyone joining the club goes, "Hang on a minute, yeah. if I am going to do it, I need to you know, be a bit more reserved, maybe, or like you say, do it out to out the public eye." Doesn't con- I don't condone it, but I think that you know, players are role models as well.
2: Thinking about it uh, a little bit more, I, th- I think it was it was the right thing to do mm-hmm. because uh, it's not as if he's he's kind of a, a world beater that we can't kind of live without at the moment. Mm, exactly exactly
4: no one's indispensable and greedish could be anything greedish could be anything he wants to because we you know I, I i always think back to that liverpool game at wembley that was the stage where you thought bloody hell we've got a player on our hands here and will will greedish be the player who is central to to villa rebuilding and and whatever future success we might have or will he still be at the club in 10 years with us saying why the bloody hell would we he give him a 5 year contract what how can't we get, how'd we get rid of him you know yeah where is it going to pan out for him
2: I just want to go back to Jedanac. He had a mare of a game, and stinker from from watching his. Uh, I think it's How many times has he played? Three times now. Mm-hmm. But I had a from watching him. I saw him uh, for Palace in the semi final. That was the last time I saw him uh, before he signed for Villa. I went went to that semi final. Don't ask me why. Uh, <laughs> why? I said, don't ask me why. Oh. <laughs> when we signed him, I thought, yeah, goodbye. Get it. Get him in. Because he's a leader, he's he's somebody. Uh, he's he's going to be a bit more tenacious in the midfield, give us a bit of steel in there, and you know, Aussie Battler, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I've been so underwhelmed by him, and his distribution today was uh, it was on par. It's, it's almost like the rest of the players' uh, inadequacies that were rubbing off. Like these players haven't come into the team to lift the rest of the team; they're actually picking up all the bad habits of their teammates.
4: Yeah, um, yeah, I'd say underwhelmed with Eden so far, which been a. Real disappointment, actually. I I tried to put it down to the fact that he picked up a bit of a knock and he'd been flown halfway across the world after we'd signed him. Excuse yeah. me for international duty. Just taking the Newcastle game in in isolation. He won the ball a lot and that was helpful. But as you say, the distribution was either sorry. Let's be clear. Predominantly awful. He played two or three fantastic balls into the channels. I have to say that were interesting. You know, there was one in the first half where he um. He played a through ball and, and in the second half where he, he played it, you know, quite a high cross-field ball that in, into into the, the path of Amavi, I think. Which yeah. was, I think it shows you the potential, but he looks well off the pace at the moment and I don't know whether that's a fitness issue, tactical issue, it could be that as well. You know, we've talked
2: about that. He's playing very conservative in terms of he's sticking very much to that defensive midfielder role and I expected him to be bossing the midfield a little bit more and getting involved both sides mm. of the, uh, the halfway line.
4: No, he seems bolted in front of the... Uh, the two centre halves, doesn't
2: he? Which is ironic when you're playing three centre backs that you need somebody uh yeah. like yeah. stuck in front of them. You know, he essentially playing as a fourth centre back at times.
4: I would like to see what he starts to look like if we could get Tishbola fit for a length of time. I would like to see how yeah. that midfield you know you talk about defensive and strike partnerships we haven't got a midfield partnership where you go this is this is core to us this is part of our spine I'd like to yeah. see how I don't think we've seen enough of him yet I, I really don't he's massive there's glimpses of, of, of quality there but he, he hasn't shown it yet uh, nearly nearly enough welcome back to Jedi Next Jungle day, villains you join me live from Utopia and really is a strange and unpredictable place. You'll no doubt be saddened to learn that the newborn Delat, she didn't make it through. She's a goner. But the pride will move on. There's no time for sentiment in the outbacks of Widden. The alpha males will fight for the right back role. The Scottish Cafu, Mika defend Richards, and the unpredictable Dutch Pacuna. For all our sakes, we can only hope it's a fight to the death.
2: we started last uh, the last episode uh, the improvers mm. where we take one player at the moment it's completely random and describe how they can improve and are they actually improving and are, or are they a lost cause and i think in terms of an improver in terms of somebody who's actually demonstrated uh, an improvement especially from the early games of his uh, villa career would have to be uh, mr galini mm-hmm. I thought he, I thought he had a couple of moments which, if he didn't pull off those saves, it would have been maybe two, three, four nil. It would have just, uh, and a second goal I think would have opened the floodgates today.
4: Yep, I think his best game in a Villa shirt actually. He, the the first half was that there were so many moments of utter disarray in, in the penalty area, and he took command or he made the right choice and. The two saves that stick that stick in my head. The first one was where between the centre halves, the ball broke to the Newcastle player. No one really decided, and he, and he decided not to not to creep out of his six yard box. He stayed put, which was which was really important, and made himself big really, and, and made a great block. Um the second one was the, the Elphick mistake. Yeah. Um, was was obviously the the key moment where well, a, a game saving.
2: I mean, in short, it it's saved our bacon. It's
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. But a crucial time of the game. If we'd have gone in at half time 2 0, you know, not only would the bloody place have gone mental, but it would would have have
2: emptied as well. Yeah, no, I was about to say it would have been a bit of a ghost town. My experience uh, today of uh, this vicious rivalry that we have with Newcastle, uh, you know, I got off the train and the first thing that greeted me at Witten was. Newcastle fans and Villa fans all mixed having cans and having, you know, having a laugh and uh, same after the game, it's almost like two sets of fans that have empathy with each other's situation because essentially we're going through the same thing Let's go back, let's say, 10 years or so when we'd look at Manchester City and Chelsea as teams that were not necessarily bigger than us in any shape or form. Fortune uh, comes their way and suddenly not only have they surpassed us, but they're now kicking sand in our face and uh, we've had owners that were quite happy for uh, clubs of the status of Villa and Newcastle to uh, punch below their weight until uh, disaster uh, eventually came. So this whole media thing of whipping up... I mean, what we've done to them in 2009, which is apparently the new new 9-11 is, uh, (laughs) was, you know, we're taking the piss. It could have been any team there. We'd have, uh, you know, obviously if it's a bigger team and they're going down then, and especially a team that are kind of on your kind of, let's say, wavelength in terms of size, you're going to rejoice. I mean, I think I remember, I think I was on TalkSport and I said to the presenters of the Sports Bar, yeah, I don't understand why we really, really went to town to wind them up. And as, as they said back to me, they said, Dave, well, you know, football supporters, that's what we do. That's what, you know, that's what everybody does. And, you know, it's, that, that's what it is. And then last year... For God's sake, we're going down. We want to take as many people down with us. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's dark humour, isn't it? And, and I it's, think and the- it's humour and it you know, it's a spice of life.
4: It is. I mean no it's like anything, really. You, you know, you go to the football you go to the football, you you vent your frustrations, you shout things you don't ordinarily shout in the in the street or in the comfort of your own armor. And then, you know, everyone goes about their business, don't they? Newcastle are, are funny because they were almost like the original Sky TV creation, weren't they? To try and, you yeah. know, create the myth, really. But they've since, you know, Sky move on, don't they? Like the, a leech-like corporation to create. It's Manchester City at the moment or next year it'll be whoever. Or But and, and Newcastle suffered badly for it because I think it gave their fan base... I'm sorry. Portion of their fan base, unrealistic expectations, should we say, and, and
2: delusions of grandeur.
4: Delusions of grandeur, and I think that, that that's the point. That that's the, that's the bit that I find particularly funny. I think is that they've never been particularly good, like ourselves in the modern era, never been particularly good, but have almost been so surprised to be in the situation that they, <laughs> that they find themselves in. You know, yet you know, as I say, they have John Joe Shelby at the heart of their midfield, and and and, and by Kieran
2: Clark, the Chronicle up there were whipping up uh, a storm. You know, and, and the Birmingham Mail. Uh, we're doing the uh, oh, Mickey Quinn thinks uh, Villa fans are a bunch of wankers, <laughs> and uh, oh, fans' reaction to Mickey Quinn. It's just bullshit, okay. isn't it? It's all it is is
4: people. It's truest form. It's just banter, isn't it? And it makes a fixture that probably the biggest fixture in the championship without all that rubbish around it. To be honest, but yeah, it adds a bit of adds a bit of spice, doesn't it? Adds a bit of. I
2: suppose it's like the hype before like boxing yeah,
4: matches. Yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know what they call it. It's that sort of crap talk, isn't it? That
2: I think it's called marketing. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, well, I don't mind that. I don't think it's rivalry in the true sense. You know, I don't get, I don't wake up on, like I do on Derby morning and think. You know, this is this is a do or die, and I imagine that you you look in the mirror and there's a Newcastle fan looking back at you. I don't think that they would wake up particularly and have, have Aston Villa circled necessarily. I think, yeah, that there's there's karma in football, and I think if if they had the opportunity to relegate us, that would be party time on on Tyneside.
2: Villa have been in the right place at the right time when it when it comes to Newcastle. That's, I think that's the bottom. I mean, I enjoy it because it, you know the modern day game so sanitised that to have these little uh, rivalries is a bit of extra spice. But I think in terms of being decent football fans, I mean, Geordies and you know, villains are kind of piece of a pod from that kind of respect. So any ill will or hatred, I mean, some fans kind of get caught up because they're essentially brainwashed by the media. Anyway, let's let's move on to uh, what's been happening in the rest of the championship, and uh, it's almost like they're they're digging a little secret tunnel to the top of the league where nobody has noticed them, <laughs> and Nor- Norwich have finally uh, reached the summit.
4: Well, three points clear of third place Brighton as well. So in our first or, or second um, podcast, the very very beginning of the, the season, we spoke about Norwich being the team that had been relegated. They hadn't. Um, Added significant in and it, I think it openly stated that they their business was pretty much done very early on. Yeah. Robust, broadly, a Premier League football. You know, you look across the squad, and I think I said something to the tune that we would probably quite happily take a number of their players given the chance. Well run football club,
2: but they're a team. I mean, it's...
4: yeah, that's that was exactly what I was about to say. They're a team, and they they know this league, and are going about their work rather diligently. You know, they they are now what eleven points clear of us. Well, six wins to our to our one. And considering the firepower we've bought, they've scored seven more goals than us.
2: I mean, Reading in fourth, I mean, what's that all about? I thought they were in the bottom four, never mind the top four.
4: <laughs> yeah, they're quietly going about their work as well. As are the Blues and Barnsley, really. I mean, we're. We obviously facing Barnsley, these are the types of teams that they're on the points totals that we would have imagined that we would be on, you know, the 15, sort of 14, 15, 16 points. Maybe not yeah. you know, not running away. I don't think anyone had any. I
2: think we would have been expected to be on those mm. points while still in transition. We yeah. would be saying, well, you know, we're still still finding our feet here. That's yeah. why we're only on 16 points after nine games.
4: And so that's that's a bit of a puzzle. And perhaps, I mean, I said last week that, you know, this is a winning league. We, we seem to be the draw specialists. You know, you, yeah. you only have to look at us. That, that's basically what it is.
2: As, as a Blues fan said on uh, Twitter earlier on, they, they've actually uh, got more points than Villa and Derby combined. And uh, he went on to explain that that shows you what uh, decent management and organisation is compared to just throwing money at uh, something, which you know, I think is a fair point, to be honest.
4: Well, at this stage, definitely Gary Rowett's the the never ending whisper, isn't it? Really, of the will Villa inevitably revisit the McLeish moment of uh, you know some point in the future and go, well, oh, Gary Rowett's a bit of all right, isn't he? So uh, he's a Villa fan. He's a big Villa fan, and the thing about Rowett is he's done a damn good job at Blues. With you know, he's gone through a period as well where he had next to no money.
2: Yeah, they um, spent for cold, didn't they?
4: <laughs> you know, and again, that they they sit in that cluster of teams. Yeah, it's only nine. I keep saying nine games, but it's you know we're. I consider us into the season now. A fifth of the season gone. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. That sort of leads us to Barnsley, doesn't it? Who 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 sits sandwiched between Blues and Wolves at the moment? They've won five games. They've won five. We've won one, and
2: they've scored nineteen goals.
4: Nineteen goals. They've let 13 in,
2: by the way. Yeah, but if you score 19 goals, it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's, that's the thing with
4: football. It's all statistics to you, isn't it, David?
2: It's a, it's <laughs> One statistic in football. If you score more goals than the opposition, you tend to win. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll put my hand up. I don't know anything about Barnsley in terms of their players and who's responsible for all these goals. I mean, is there? A, do you know off the top of your head? No. <laughs> uh, listener, listener, if you're a Barnsley expert, uh, send us a tweet on... Uh, at Aston Villa pod and uh, give us an insight into Barnsley's success story. But Barnsley, uh, all or nothing. Five wins, four losses, no draws. Looking at uh, we've got the next two games are two away games. If this is a turning point, and I use that word, those words, uh Half-heartedly, let's say. If there is a knock-on effect, say that there's this boosted confidence and it's galvanised the players and De Matteo's realised the errors of his way, how many points would you think uh, we should be getting from those two away fixtures? Mm. Do you want me to give you a clue? Uh, uh, four. <laughs> okay. Um,
4: is it just me at this point where I think that we, we've we got to be going into games looking to win? I, I feel we've lost
2: ground at the moment. Uh, so uh, let's do our normal closer Five reasons to be cheerful as Aston Villa fans. Uh, number one, I'll give it to you, Mr. Dan.
4: i I say coming from behind against arguably one of the better teams in the division. You know, we looked devoid of ideas for, for most of the game, dead and buried. But then True. we, you know, equally we're left wondering how how did we not win the fixture in the end? Um, a nice little drive home for the Georgies as well, just to you know, because that's a nice little story for the for the local press to to wind up and wind them up for next season. At least they weren't relegated this time.
2: Yeah, no, that's if if you're a Newcastle fan, that is a reason to be cheerful. You're, you didn't actually get relegated after visiting Villa Park. Well
4: done, well done, very well done.
2: <laughs> Although let's let's put it this way: it was only the fixture list that uh, you got lucky with there. Uh, I'm sure if it was the last game of the season, you would have been relegated again. Uh, anyway, moving on, number two, we've already paid homage to him, but uh, I'm going to go number two, the impact of uh, Tish Bola, who I actually called. Uh, I said to the uh, the gentleman beside me at halftime, I said, Baker's coming off, Tish Bola's coming on. And uh, as if my seat was miked, it, uh, it actually happened. But I thought he was good. He, he shared, I mean, we've discussed him, but uh, some neat touches, awareness, not afraid to try things as well and obviously he scored uh, the equalizer
4: really good play really good play
2: so talking about scoring uh, in front of the whole ten what, what was your take on the offside because I, I was up celebrating and i turned around and i and i just looked at a war <laughs> just rows of people sat down mm-hmm. and i was thinking, something 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 something's not right here was it offside i i haven't, I haven't, I haven't we haven't seen no haven't i haven't seen it back since um somebody said uh, there was a couple of villa players offside so yeah. we'll with that, Dis-
4: yeah, bit disappointing, I suppose, in those sort of situations. You wonder how you managed to get offside from that dead ball, but shoulda, woulda, coulda.
2: So, number three, um,
4: just a link to what we were saying earlier on about Grealish. I think if there's one good thing is that the club have dealt with it really quickly, professionally. They find him, they dropped him. No great song or dance, really, from the club. And you know, aside from, from the good old doctor addressing it personally over Twitter by direct, sorry, public message.
2: What do you think about that? Because obviously you mention his tweets a lot.
4: Oh, here's something to think about. My, it was, uh, my dad said it to me today, actually. He said, what, what if your employer took offence to something that you did and then tweeted you over, over Twitter to ask you about it and tell you, please don't do that again? Hey, would that, you think, what the bloody? Uh, it's a bit odd, but I think all of this is a bit odd. So
2: Now, now you put it like that. Surely uh, that's kind of one for constructive, kind of almost realms of constructive dismissal uh, employment law that's to be that publicly open. (laughs) If if I was an established player and a bit of a a big shot, I would be uh, just having a little phone call to my lawyer maybe.
4: Yeah, I I think anyone would and strip it. Strip it right back and I'll go back to what I just said. If if, if it was a work-type relationship and your boss did that to you or to any other employee, really, you can imagine it would raise a few eyebrows. I, I wonder whether it raises a few eyebrows within Villa's own HR department. That maybe, maybe they've got a little light that just goes, oh, shit, he's tweeted again. You know, the little, I don't know, the Hercules the Lion light goes up across Birmingham and someone swoops in to try and disable his iPhone.
2: That that would be funny actually if there is a big light in the uh, in the corridors well in the offices of Villa Park that every time he tweets this big r- red light starts to flash. Who
4: who would you beam into Birmingham's skyline? Who would you? What would you have as the emblem? Say like, yeah, know? Batman in Gotham City. What would you?
2: Well, I think it'd just be a big Chinese flag.
4: Mm. Mm. The,
2: the the Chinese flag on the top of the, the Doug Ellis stand starts to light up every. Uh... The Chairman
4: Mouse stand, Jimmy.
2: Yeah, sorry, the Chairman Mouse stand. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> I forgot it got changed uh, sorry I don't think the Birmingham Mail have broke that story yet oh shit we've broken the embargo but uh, I think it's Wednesday they announced it's going to be called the Chairman Mail Stand so the fifth and final one I'm going for the I must admit after 60 minutes I thought it was game over for the unbeaten home record for what it's worth at the moment also, uh, the second game on the trot, we haven't conceded the, a late goal in five minutes. I mean, that would have been some sucker punch. We were resurrected from the dead, and then they, they hit us on the break, and they scored in the last minute. I mean, that would have been... Poof.
4: Oh, that would have been grief. And those Geordies would have loved that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. oh, it would have been like Christmas.
2: Here here I am saying they're a good bunch, and you're, you're just refusing to believe that and, and sticking the needle in at every opportunity. <laughs> That's what I'm here for to add balance exactly to the force if you have any questions or if you want something discussing or if you have any great ideas to improve the podcast uh, drop us a line on the dedicated uh, Twitter address which is at Aston Villa pod and of course if you've got to the end of the show well done (laughs) <laughs> first of all uh secondly if you just uh, give us a thumbs up or show us some love or uh rate it five stars please and then if you hated it just uh give it a real bashing in the review but just say five stars but that's good it just it just make, gives us an indication that you're listening and uh enjoying it and making these uh, what time is it now it's almost two o'clock in the morning pretty standard for this podcast it's I- early it's early. We could go on, but uh, let's stop it here, shall we? Have a good week, and until next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from him. Goodbye.
0: My old man said.
2: Did you see the game the other? I'm still, I'm still high. <laughs> <laughs> what a goal that last goal was. Well, when Les equalised it was like it a typical Villa it's, that was when the top four are starting to float away but when he scored, it's like maybe this season we can keep going but that goal how well did he take no, that last fantastic. goal under that kind of pressure like 30 seconds after he'd scored it was really amazing yeah memory. no, yeah, I think now he's he'll be in the England team regular now no I, I, it was a great game though. Mm. amazing memory. no I think uh, I probably I came from Paris this morning I'd probably miss my plane if it was too odd just